Hey, hey everyone, it is your friend Kent C. Dodds here, and I'm joined by my friend Dave Korshid. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. Hey, uh, so I I say that you're my friend, but I now I have to ask, do you go by Dave or David? David. Uh, the, David. There's a special type of person who's a Dave, and I'm not that type of person. <laughs> I don't even know what that type of person is, but I'm mostly David. Cool, cool. My uh, uh, my brother's name is David, and I grew up always calling him David. But then when he got married, his in-laws and that family started calling him Dave. And now everybody in my family is calling him Dave now, too, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm either David or DK. DK, all right. Like Donkey Kong. Oh, nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or Piano Man, you might. Uh, <laughs> Actually, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, so David, um, was it like two years ago that you spoke at React Rally about X State? Has that been that long? It was two years ago. Yeah. I went to React Rally last year, but just to attend, which was a great time. But two years ago was pretty much the first time I talked about finite state machines in general at a conference. And so I was really happy to you know be able to do that at React Rally. Yeah, that's that I I remember that talk because I of course I was there I I never miss um, if I can snag a ticket which is not easy but um, mm-hmm. yeah by the way React Rally is my favorite conference so those listening um, try to get that ticket it's so good yeah um, but uh, yeah so I remember that talk I was really impressed I thought it was super cool um, the like conceptually. I, I still have yet to actually build something with X state, but every time I think about um, managing complex state, it, I always go back to X state as probably the um, like the best solution. Um, I need to test that theory, but that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm working with right now. So um, yeah, let's talk about more than just X state. Let's talk about the general idea of what a finite state machine really is. And I'm kind of curious how you got into all of this too. So why don't we start there? Um, I, I like to kind of start with the why behind the topic. So what what made you interested in this and, and uh, why do you think um, other people should dedicate some of their brain cycles to it? So it's going to sound weird, but it actually stems from my musical background. Um, you know, if you play an instrument or anyone who plays an instrument, really, they know that there's there's this uh, there's music notation that you would read either from sheet music or maybe guitar tabs or like a lead sheet or whatever that basically tells you in a very visual way how something is going to be performed. And I realized like when I studied music in college, we had to study so many different genres and different types of music, but they all use the same music notation. And uh, this music notation was expressive enough to be able to um, inform the player how to play these many, many different styles of music. And so uh, as I grew in my development career, I was thinking, what, what if there was some sort of music notation for logic, like application logic, application behavior, things that change over time. And of course, naively at first, I tried to make my own, but then I discovered there's this really old computer science concepts called state machines. And uh, it it was presented in a very theoretical sense, but I tried to dig deeper and think about how it could be used in user interfaces and in applications and things that weren't strictly theoretical or strictly academic. And uh, so that's when I stumbled into state charts. And I realized that 
people have been asking the same questions that I've been asking for the last 30 or so years. And some people much, much smarter than me have already, you know, developed this idea of state charts and using uh, state machines and state charts and user interfaces and other types of applications like embedded electronics and, uh, you know, aircraft control, all of these advanced use cases. And then I started seeing them everywhere. And I think that that might be where, like, I've heard a lot of people, you included, you know, just seeing these state machines in the software rewrite. And then we stop and think about like, oh, you know, uh, this could be expressed as a finite series of states instead of just random booleans. Mm-hmm. So, dude, that's really interesting. You know, there there really is nothing uh, new under the sun. Um, but it, it it's cool that it kind of uh, came out of um, your your thoughts around music notation. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, finite state machines. Um, I I think maybe they're like. We can understand each of those terms um, in isolation, but together, maybe um, we could get a, a more clear definition. So can you help us understand what exactly is a finite state machine? Sure. So I could give you the Wikipedia definition, or I could just give you a little example. Let, let's take a promise. This is something that we work with every day as JavaScript or front-end engineers, and even in the back-end. Uh, a promise starts off as like once the promise is initiated, it's pending. It's waiting for a result that might or might not come over time. And then while we're waiting for that pending promise, it goes into a state of either success or failure, which is it's either resolved or rejected. And so those are finite discrete states that we could say that our promise is in. And so the main idea behind finite state machines is that you are in only one of a finite number of states at any given time. So a promise cannot be both resolved and rejected. That Mm. makes absolutely no sense. It's impossible. Nor could it be pending and uh, rejected, you know, at the same time. And the things that cause these changes in states are events because it doesn't just happen for no reason. Everything happens Mm. based on an event. And so finite state machines are these finite states, these finite number of events that either a user could do or some other external system could do and have these states change from one state to another based on those events. And in a nutshell, that's all finite state machines are. And of course, there's an initial state. You have to start from somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, the uh, like conceptually, um, we can think of many examples like, you know, stoplights is I think probably mm-hmm. a pretty, you know, um, worldwide understood example. Yeah. Um, but, uh, to like in code, this is represented by, you have your object, um, and that object may have a certain number of properties. Like if we were to take your promise example, um, you know, it, it would have the, you know, resolved or rejected, like there's the response and there's the error if you're doing a fetch call or something like that. So it would be, um, like there could be multiple properties in our state, but we could only have one set of those properties in our state at a time. Is that like, am I kind of going off on, on the rails there? Or is that kind of, does that make any sense? What I just said, maybe, maybe, let me, t- let me take a step back. So like maybe with the, um, um, a, a good thing to define is what state even is. And I, I define it as something it's, it's, 
data uh, or a value that changes over time. And so like you have static data, like we have, um, you know, data.json in your project or whatever. It's just static data. Um, and, and that could be like the, the user's, um, you know, first name and last name that maybe that'll, you know, never change in the life, lifetime of our application anyway. Um, and that would be just data. But then, then there's state, um, which could be represented by, you know, a, the position of the mouse on the page or something like that. That's something that can change over time. It's, and so that's, that would be state. And that's something that could be represented in a, a finite state machine, right? Yeah. Uh, so you could think about state in two ways. There's the discrete finite states and there's sort of continuous or infinite states. And so if you think about a cup of water, the, the water could have maybe a hundred milligrams of water or uh, two cups of water or three quarts of water, something like that. Like just an infinitely large number of different measurements that you could uh, have in that cup of water. But you could also separate it into distinct categories of the cup is empty, the cup is filling, or the cup is full. And mm. uh, so finite state machines can represent the finite states of that, where uh, you know you could have empty, filling, or full. And mm. uh, with extended finite state machines or state charts, which is an extension that David Harrell made in 1987, I'm well, pretty sure. That was like the year before I was born, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's the notion of extended state or in X state, it's called context. But this, this idea that we're separating finite state from this infinitely, you know, many values of state. So for example, your first name, your last name, my, you know, date of birth, just things that could be very, very numerous. And we, we can't really express all possible combinations of that. Hmm. And so um, in in the state charts view, state is a mixture of this finite state and this infinite state, if that <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense. That kind of makes sense. So like yeah. when, I, when I'm building um, a finite state machine with X state, for example, I'm going to take my, you know, my object that represents all of the states, all the finite states, and I'm going to feed that into my state machine with X state. But then there are like dynamic pieces of, of data or information. Yeah. Um, and so I, that was actually a question I wanted to ask about mm -hmm. uh, during our, our chat was, um, how do you uh, represent those kinds of pieces of information where um, maybe the database, like there, there, there's some sort of um, bad code on the back end. And so my data is in a like corrupt um, situation where like it is an impossible state or something like that. Yeah. Um, so we, we can't really represent that up front. Um, anyway, like uh, as I'm writing out my, my state machine, um, configuration or whatever. So like, where do those two, uh, places meet, um, when I'm like in, in a typical practical, um, application that I'm building with something like X state. So you're talking about like, um, if you want to represent something as finite states, but the infinite state might be corrupt or something. Well, yeah, that, that may have been a little tangential. I'm mostly <laughs> interested in, um, in like, I, I do have those two different um, things where I, I know all of the states and I know what the values should be, you know, given my promises in the resolve state, I know what these values should be or, or whatever the, the case may be. Um, 
I can represent the the state of my component um, based off of this type of of event or whatever. But then right. we have the dynamic data that's coming from the server. Uh, so yeah. where do those those two things um, mesh in a like a practical real world scenario? Okay. So so this is sort of the difference between Redux and XState is mm. that in XState you you get back this state object which it has a value which is your finite state. As in, let's take a promise for example. It's either idle, loading, success, or failure, right? Those are the four possible states it could be in. And when it's in success, you have this data, which of course could be anything. It's whatever payload comes from that. And, you know, failure, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, whatever error message comes from that Mm -hmm. as well. And so it combines the two in this, uh, in this object and, uh, you know, well, when I talk about this, I actually keep thinking about the the stopwatch example that you made <laughs> with, <laughs> with hooks, like you and Dan were going back and forth between uh, this stopwatch example. And the one thing I noticed, and so th- this or speaks to the practical aspect of this is mm-hmm. that in the stopwatch example, there was, there was no notion of, um, of stopped or playing or reset or any mm-hmm. of these discrete events. It was just, um, and this is even in Dan's example, when he tried to show you the right way, uh, I, I mean, of course his way is correct. It works. But yeah. <laughs> it, it works. Yeah. So technically correct. Um, but it was trying to determine state and to uh, set state based on those infinite values. Hmm. For example, uh, when you press reset, all it said was like, oh yeah, set the set the current time to zero and set the play rates to zero. But those aren't finite states. Mm. But we're deriving finite states from that, but it's not really explicit. And so X states, if I were to rewrite a stopwatch example in X state, not only would I have some, some part of the state saying, here's the current time, I would have a part of the state saying, it's playing, or it's paused, or it's reset, or you know something like that. Mm, yeah, I, I actually I love that idea. Um, I'm I'm totally going to uh, to rebuild the stopwatch with X state now to figure out because I've been like thinking, mm-hmm. well, I need to find a good example or a good use case or scenario for the me. Stopwatch to, would be a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and then I'll once I figure that out, I'll I'll ask you about it, and then I'll probably do a live stream or something, um, explaining okay. how how it works. That'd be pretty cool. I love that. Yeah. Cool. So um, we do we do have these um, like in the stopwatch example, you have that lapse time that can be calculated mm-hmm. from the time that the stopwatch stopwatch was started uh, minus the current time um, right. or the current time minus that. Um, and so like our state machine would only represent the the finite states like it is running, it is stopped, it is. Um, now, when when it's paused, um, that state needs to live somewhere as well. What do you have uh, when you're representing this finite state machine? Though um, those those actual values are not something that you know ahead of time. Like I don't know when the start time is going to be, and I don't know when the pause time is going to be. Mm-hmm. So those wouldn't be stored in my um, in my state machine configuration object. I don't know what you call that, um, right. <laughs> but uh, but those those values wouldn't be stored there. So do I separate my finite states from from this um, more ephemeral, like you know, these values that I'm going to 
find out in the future or, or so, um, so you don't yeah. necessarily separate them where they live in the state is in those two pockets. So the value, which is the finite, <clears throat> sorry, the finite state and the context, which is your more mm. uh, infinity. And so those come back in the same object. So inherently they're together. And so what you Got define it. in your state machine is let's say you, you have a start event where it tells you the current time that you started, or you have a lapse event where it says, here's how long, you know, the, the, the uh, lap was, mm. or, you know, stop event telling you what time it stopped. Uh, those events carry data. So they could be in Redux does the same thing. You have a discrete type for the event, such as start, lap, reset, stop. And you also have these potentially infinite values. So, you know, start time, the person's name, something like that. And so you would represent that in the state machine as well, like assigning those values to the context or the mm -hmm. infinite state. And that actually prevents a lot of bugs that we, we don't realize are present in so many of our applications. <laughs> uh, like um, you've worked with Redux a lot. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, sort of. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I worked with it a little bit a couple of years ago, long enough for me to realize that it wasn't my thing. So mm -hmm. uh, I haven't done a lot of Redux, but I, I definitely understand it. So we can chat about Redux. <laughs> right. So and I'm sure many listeners are familiar with mm -hmm. Redux or at least the concepts behind Redux, too. Um, and so something I see very often is that we're basing what the next state is just on the events not on the current state. If it is mm -hmm. a current state and they really need to use a current state, they might add an if statement. Like if this mm -hmm. is this state, then, you know, do this as well. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about like a simple loading example where you're trying to load async data um, and you do it based on events where it's like, I have a success event with some data, put it in there um, and then change this and change that. Uh, that's not adequate because what if I ask you, um, can this success event be done without me even loading, without me even going to the mm -hmm. loading state? And yeah. um, the the developer might say, no, that's that would never happen. And then <laughs> I would go and I would tell them, can you prove it? Can you, I like, if we put $100 on the table, you know, <laughs> guarantee me that that will never happen. And then they would say like, oh, well, I mean, the button is disabled, but yeah, it's like there's there's no form, yeah there's no formal way there's no guarantee that you know it's impossible for you know that's to happen. Mm -hmm. So any events can happen at any time and change data at any time, and that that increases the surface area of of application behavior that you know we really want to narrow down and you know make impossible states impossible. No, mm, oh, that makes so much sense, and that and that it um, leads into the idea that like um, the finite state represents not only the state that it, it could be in, but also mm. the states that it can travel to from that state. Exactly. Yeah, which is a very important concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, I, and actually, that that leads into a great uh, discussion I wanted to get into as well is. Um, Redux is typically used for like entire application state. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious about X state and where it plays in um, with that with that kind of thing is would would I be able to use X state or uh, some other finite state machine 
um, implementation, am I able to use this concept for my application state? Is it typically better for a single component state? Where, where is the best application of this kind of thing? Like, would I use it? Here's where I use my component state and then I have Redux for my application state. Like, where, where's the best practical scenario there? So that's that's also one of the big differences between Redux and uh, and XState or just using finite state machines. And it's that Redux embodies this whole global nature. There's one single atomic state. Events can happen from anywhere. It updates the state. And then you use a bunch of fancy uh, selectors and memoization to make sure that updating the global state doesn't make everything mm -hmm. fire off and change because that would be a performance yeah, we're, and we're experiencing that with hooks because uh, you can't you know, exit <laughs> early. Yeah, exactly. Um, so xState is sort of a different idea. xState really embodies the idea of local state. Now, of course, you could have like an xState, like a state machine at the very top and then state machines for each one of your components, and then they could send events to each other. And uh, by having this distributed local state, you have more of what's actually known as the actor model which mm -hmm. is also in a, it's actually an older idea than state charts. Mm -hmm. So the actor model, um, which I know this is going on a tangent, but I promise it's related. Oh, that's fine. No, uh, let's, let's go into the actor model. Yeah. Uh, actor model is mainly used for concurrency among distributed systems, but it could also be used in user interfaces to simplify how different components work together. So a real quick explanation, let's say you're an actor, I'm an actor. The way that you're, we're communicating with each other is the way that actors communicate with each other or sending events to each other. Like I'm sending you an event with my voice. You're sending me an event back with your voice. And, you know, we change our internal state based on those events. Mm. Now, um, the way we code is sort of antithetical to that. It's more like we could read each other's minds and we could hope that, you know, <laughs> I, I, I could read your mind or something, but, um, mm -hmm. With the actor model, it's like, think of each of your components having local state, and that's it. And the way components mm -hmm. change their state with relation to other components is they communicate with each other based on events. Mm -hmm. Now, in React, we sort of do that naturally without thinking. Like when we have on change, on whatever, on disabled, uh, just basically all of these event handler props, that's a way of a parent's component communicating with a child component mm -hmm. or a child communi component communicating with a parent's component. Um, mm -hmm. And so to, to answer your question, um, it doesn't matter whether you use Redux or XState or whatever. It's just uh, the idea that you do need local state and local state is not something that should be avoided. And I think that that was the thing that Redux might have unintentionally encouraged. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I wrote a form library called React Redux Form, which I don't really maintain anymore. I just tell people to go to Formic and I accept <laughs> PRs and I review them and everything. But um, it was a form library based on Redux. And I found that people were having very significant performance issues once they had forms with maybe 50, 70, 100 fields. And this is very mm -hmm. easy to envision, like if you make some sort of spreadsheet app or an app where you have many line items, things like mm -hmm. that, it easily gets to that many, uh, that many inputs and that many components. And so I had to, 
had to make some sort of makeshift local React Redux form <laughs> for each component, mm. uh, which it worked, but it sort of felt like going against the grain with Redux. Mm -hmm. So mm. that's why local components data is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm definitely a big fan of that. So what with uh, if I recall correctly, with XState, I can like have nested um state charts right like so i i could build like just like i have a, a nested component tree i could have uh these nested state charts where oh you know what um like in, in react if, if you need two components to communicate with each other their siblings you're going to lift state um what is that yeah. the same concept when i'm using x state that i'm going to i say i have these two places that need to communicate state so i'm going to lift that state to this you know, state chart above, or how does that work? Sort of. So what you're describing would be more of having a parent state chart where two components just communicate with that parent and that parent communicates back with the two components. Right. Now, nested state machines, it's more for refining states. So let's say that we have a loading app or like a, yeah, like a loading application where you want to fetch some data, um, but it might be fetching multiple parts of data. So you would have three states, let's say idle, loading, and success, but that loading state, you might want to refine more, like load user, mm -hmm. load group, load friends, load metadata, like just all these sub-states of that main state. And so it's just a way of refining state and grouping states in a logical way that prevents you from having to create so many different states and transitions. Hmm, very so interesting. That, that's what its purpose is. Cool. Okay. Cool. So um, we're we're coming down on our time, but I did want to ask you about a couple other things um, because I happen to know that you are doing some really interesting things with testing mm -hmm. um, and st finite state machines um, that have nothing to do with whether your application is actually using X state or finite state machines, but are, is actually this concept of model based testing. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, actually, just going to your article, you wrote an article over a while ago about the testing trophy. And it is an important point because it shows that unit tests, you could write a hundred, a thousand unit tests, but your application could still have serious flaws, whether it's in behavior or edge cases that you might not catch in unit testing. Uh, but the problem is that with integration tests, even though integration and end-to-end -end tests are extremely important and they actually test uh, how your application is going to behave in real life, um, these tests are difficult to author. Like just mm -hmm. authoring one takes a chunk of time and then for every single other possible thing your user could do, you would have to author another one. And then if application functionality changes, then you have to rewrite or refactor every single one of those integration tests. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons that people tend to avoid writing too many integration tests, which of course makes your application's reliability suffer. Mm -hmm. So there's this other old concept. I'm, I'm all about old concepts, but <laughs> <laughs> there's this old concept called model-based testing. And so what it is, is you would describe your application as a state machine, even in a vague way. It doesn't matter if your application is written with a state machine or not. You would just say, my application behaves like this. It starts in this state, it moves to this state, and so on. And so you describe your application as this, and then you write heuristics saying, when my application is in this loading state, there's a spinner available. And so um, 
if the spinner is on the screen, then just assume it's on the loading states. And so, so you would mm-hmm. write all of these, uh, all these heuristics, and you would also write things that say um, the action of click, uh, the action of submitting the form is physically going to the submit button and clicking it. And so, mm-hmm. with the combination of this, you could take your state machine and you could trace every single path from like the start states to any other state, and you you generate hundreds and maybe thousands of different test plans. And each of those test plans says, uh, in order to get to this state, you have to go here, do this, go here, do that. So it's sort of like Google Maps. Mm -hmm. Long story short, it's a way for you to automatically generate integration and end-to-end tests without having to write any of them by hand, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think and and the key element there is is the fact that the state machine um, encodes the transitions um, mm-hmm. that you can go from one state to another. And that's what enables that um, kind of power, right? Right, exactly. And so you could use the same test plans, I call them, for writing both integration and end-to-end tests too. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, where integration, maybe you mock out the backend HTTP mm-hmm. calls, but then end-to-end, just let them happen. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting and uh, cool concept. And and the fact that, I, and I think maybe this is a really good takeaway for people or a call to action for people is to say, like, take the feature that you're working on right now and uh, take a step back and see if you can model it in your head as a uh, finite state machine. Mm-hmm. Where, okay, so the user enters my form or they enter my, you know, the, the checkout uh, cart or whatever. Uh, maybe it's a checkout flow and then they transition from that into the enter their payment information. And then if they enter it wrong, then they go into a state of error. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and I feel like that exercise could really help not only in uh, you identifying potential bugs, like, oh, I, I didn't think about what, what could happen if they... Um, hit the back button here or something, you know. Right, um, yeah. Uh, and then it it can also have the benefit of you thinking, hey, maybe I could apply, uh, you know, some finite state machine um, solution to this uh, situation so that I avoid those kinds of bugs. Right, and e- even if not, if you're just, uh, this is something I tell everyone. It's like, if you don't need to use my library, don't use it. Take a pencil and paper, draw out each state and each arrow between the states, and you're going to quickly realize, I forgot to add that, I didn't consider this edge case and more just by thinking of your application as a finite state machine. Yeah, I think that's that's super great advice and, and a good thing to kind of end on here. Um, yeah, like as you're drawing that out, I'm, I'm just picturing this in my mind, like you, you're drawing arrows connecting this different states and then you realize, oh, actually, I think in my application, it's right now possible to transition from this state to that one, and that should not be possible. Mm-hmm. So I got to go fix that bug. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to uh, to just give to our audience to take away from this conversation? Any other uh, calls to action or anything? Um, well, if you want, please check out my X-State library. I, uh, by the time of publishing this, there might even be a new for, new version with new features and some extra functionality around testing, analytics, uh, simulation, and more. And I, I'm working on it constantly. And there's also some really great communities around it, especially on spectrum.chat slash date charts. And uh, yeah.
Cool, cool. All right, we'll get people on that spectrum. Uh, spectrum is fantastic, by the mm -hmm. way. I just love that. Very cool. And also, um, just as a, a teaser for people to go to xstate.js.org because uh, the animation is just great. <laughs> I just refresh the page to watch that animation again. Uh, so <laughs> for that. thanks. Yeah. Um, cool, David. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about this. Um, and one last question: Where mm -hmm. can people find you on the internet? I'm on the internet everywhere at David K Piano. So awesome. piano, the instrument I play, K because my last name's too hard to spell. <laughs> cool. All right. Sounds good. Um, that is, yeah, that's it for this episode. Thanks everybody. And we'll be in your ears next time. Bye. All right. Thanks.